Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 will be our text this morning. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You know, my daughter, she's taught me a lot. She's only two years old, and in the two years that we've had her in the home, she has uh, brought uh, just immeasurable amounts of joy to us. Uh, My wife and I comment all the time how thankful we are for our daughter and uh, what a joy she is. And she looks at things differently. She thinks of things differently. One of the things I love about her is, is trying to understand at moments what is going on in that mind, okay? All right? You know, you, you, you look at her and the way she's acting, the way she's talking or the things she's saying, you just kind of wonder what is going on in her mind. You know, we, we drive uh, around town, and, and one of the things she loves to do is she, she looks out the window, and every time she sees a bus or a truck, she'll say, look, Daddy, truck, or look, Daddy, bus. And, you know, I like trucks and buses, too. Um, I can't tell you how many youth trips I have driven a bus for and gone across the country on, or uh, for a side job, actually, I, uh, I drove a delivery truck in, in the Boston area when I lived out east. And so I love the sound of a diesel engine. I love the power that is in a truck like that. And so when my daughter says, look, Daddy, a truck, my mind goes there. Not so with my daughter. <laughs> my daughter says, Mommy bus, baby bus, <laughs> daddy bus. <laughs> we see the exact same thing, but in her mind, it's all about relationships. It's all about a mommy bus and a daddy truck and all this and everything. Maybe I'm weird, but I never would have gone there, okay? I, I, I just never would have gone there. But you know, we can tell a lot about someone in their thoughts by what they say and by how they spend their time and how they spend their money. And in this text here, we have really two commands. It's really one command, but it's given in two different imperatives about how we ought to guard our minds and how we ought to think as believers. And so here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we see these commands that tell us that we are to focus our minds on something. Now, there are a lot of stereotypes out there about what men and women think about. And those statistics may or may not be true. But we need to ask ourselves the question, regardless of statistics, regardless of how we see a bus on the side of the road or a truck on the road, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we should be thinking about? And this text answers that question for us. And so if I was going to give a central point, or if I was going to give a thesis statement, if you will, of this text, it would be this. So if you're writing notes, you might want to write this sentence down. Our union with Christ demands that our minds be set upon seeking eternal matters. I'll say it again. Our union with Christ demands 
that our minds be set upon seeking eternal matters. That is the thesis of this text for this morning. Now the way that these, these imperatives, I, there's two imperatives. One, in verse 1, it says there, seek the things that are above. That's an imperative, it's a command. And then the second one is in verse 2, it says, set your mind upon the things that are above. Those are two the, the two of the commands here in the text here. And both of them, they're constructed in a way that they're in the, the present tense. And so what that means is you need to keep on asking or, or seeking. You need to keep on setting your minds. And it's also in the second person plural, which has the idea of all of you. And so in English, we have a limited you. Well, I can say you and I'm talking to one person, or I can say you and it means all of you. And it's the same word. Not so in the original language here of Greek, is that you can actually have differences of understanding of it if it's second person, plural, or, or singular, or all that, or, or that nature. And so here is it, what Paul is saying here. He says, all of you, I want all of you to do this. It's a command for every one of you here. And so for us who have gathered here this morning, this is something we need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to these two commands that all of us need to constantly and habitually keep on seeking something. And we need to set our minds upon something. And it needs to be something that we focus on every day of our lives. There needs to be a time where we get up in the morning and we understand that this is what we need to think about. This is where our minds need to go. And the reason why it's put into the present tense is because we are so easily distracted. You know, there's a girl in one of my youth groups, and this fit her personality to a T. She had a t-shirt, and the t-shirt said this, I was going to conquer the world, but I got distracted by something sparkly. (laughs) And, And it was true. I mean, that was just kind of her personality, but I thought, how many times do we get distracted by something sparkly? And so here in this text, we're commanded of how we ought to think and how we ought to set our minds or what we should set our minds upon. And this beauty, this theme that has come through chapter 2, we saw it in chapter 1 a little bit, mainly in chapter 2, and then now here, this beautiful theme called the union with Christ is woven through this text. And that if you're a believer, you are one with Christ. That's an amazing concept and has enormous consequences and ramifications to our spiritual lives. But it says here we are to what? Seek the things that are above. And then it says to set our minds on things that are above. So that begs the question, or asks, or brings up the question, what are things above? Our focus is not simply on a place, according to this text. But very quickly, Paul moves from a place and he moves it to a person. He says, set those, set, if you've been raised with Christ, and, and the, we really could translate that, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, showing His authority, showing His completed work, showing His power. And so what are we to seek? What are we to set our minds upon? The things that are above, and this is the person of Jesus Christ. And we are to seek Him. And this is all in, con- in context of chapter 2. Remember, he had just gone through these contexts here of the things of not to do. He had told these, the, the Colossians here, don't follow this false teaching. And don't follow asceticism. Don't follow legalism. Don't follow worship of angels. Don't do all these things. And here in chapter 3, he says, set your mind on Christ. 
And so instead of legalistic rules in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, or spiritual elitism, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, or ascetic rigors of chapter 2, verses 22-23, we are to set our minds on Christ because, because it is in Him whom are all hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we are to be seeking matters of eternity rather than temporal matters. And so as we live our lives... We need to ask ourselves, what is our focus? Where is our energy spent? What, what draws our attention? Is it the things of this world? Or is it eternal matters where Christ is? And there's three theological truths in this text that support the idea of why we ought to have our mind set upon Christ. Instead upon eternal matters, not temporal matters. And the first theological truth, so if you're taking notes, theological truth number one is this. You, speaking to Christians, you have been raised with Christ. Saw that in verse one. What does that mean? What, what is this idea of that you've been raised with Christ? And then later on, in verse three, you're going to see it says, for you have died. What does that mean? You say, I don't remember dying, Jeremy. I don't remember being raised again. What is that talking about? This idea of being raised with Christ. And it's, and it's, it's constructed a way of, of almost a certainty of saying, since you have been raised with Christ. Now, he used the word if there. Don't let that confuse you. We use the same construction in English. If we're looking at a group of guys ready to go into battle and say, look, if you're a man, you're going to go in there and you're going to do this, right? We're not saying, no, I'm not sure if you're a man or not. What we're saying is like, you're a man, go do this, right? Well, it's the same thing here. He's saying, you've been risen with Christ. If you've been risen with Christ, set your minds on things above. And what is this idea of this whole idea of race here? Well, really, this goes back to this beautiful story. It's called the gospel. You see, long ago, God created the earth. He created the earth, and he had great fellowship with man, and man enjoyed great relationship with God. But God created man with something called free will. And man can choose to not obey God. Unfortunately, man exercised that free will. First man was Adam, first woman was Eve. They both exercised that free will of choosing to not obey God. And so they sinned against God, and thereby severing that relationship. God's a holy God. He cannot look upon evil, he cannot look upon sin. And so for that reason alone, that relationship was severed. Now, we don't understand in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? Okay. And so the punishment that is to be expected because of, our, of our, our, our sin against God is that we are going to die and that we need to die. And that is the just cause or the just reaction or the just consequence of our sin. We need to die. And so what Jesus did, though, and God in eternity passed, and he had set this up before time began, which is an amazing concept. This was before the foundations of the earth, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that he put this plane into motion. So he knew, he knew that this was going to happen. He understood that man would walk away from God, because that's what we always do. On our own, if we're given the choice, we will go after false idols every time. We read in Romans chapter 1 how people, they start to begin 
beginning to worship the idol instead of the creator. Or they begin to worship creation. And so they begin to bow down and they begin to give homage to things that they have just created. Why do we do that? Because we want to do it our own way. But God, in His infinite mercy and His infinite wisdom, He gave Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, He lived a life of perfect obedience. He walked on this earth. We had a great Sunday school lesson this morning about Jesus and His his bearing witness of Himself. Great text of Scripture. And Jesus lived a life of complete obedience. And that is an important theological truth there. I mean, Jesus' death is, is key to our salvation. But my friends, if Jesus had not lived a life of perfect obedience, the death would have meant nothing. And so Jesus lived this life of perfect obedience, and then he died. Here is where this beautiful theological truth comes in. In a mystical way, in our union with Christ, when Jesus died, we died with him. If we are Christ's followers, that is when we paid the wages of sin. It wasn't us, it was Christ. It wasn't what we did, it was in a spiritual way what God did is he, he said, and if you read John 17, go ahead and write that reference down, you can go ahead and look back at that text and you can see how there's this beautiful conversation between Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry and he's talking to the Father, he's praying there, he says, Father, all of those whom you have given to me, I give back. And so the people who are followers of Christ, the Christians, guess what? They are gifts from the Father to the Son. The Son redeems them, then gives them back to the Father. And so we are this gift that's exchanged back and forth between the Father and the Son. And we see this beautiful picture there of what God is doing in his infinite plan. And so what he does is then Jesus gives us back to the Father. And in that moment when Jesus died, all the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus of Nazareth. And it was poured upon him. And so in a spiritual way, those who will become followers of Jesus were died that moment in a spiritual way with Jesus. Jesus, and then when Jesus conquered death, we rose with him. That's what this text is teaching. What a beautiful picture of God's awesome plan. And the resurrection is so important. It's important on so many levels. One, it's important because it understands or shows that sin did not defeat Jesus or death did not defeat Jesus. But also, here's another important theological point that sometimes we miss is it shows that the wrath of God was satisfied. It was done. It was paid. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because the wrath has been satisfied. It's been poured out on Jesus and spiritually with our union with Christ on us, but it's all on Jesus. And so then we're raised with him. And so it gives us the ability to be sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. The gospel. The theological truth here is that we are to set our minds on, earth, uh, on heavenly things, not on earthly things, because we have been saved for so much more. But we get distracted by the world. We get distracted by what's important to the world. We get distracted by our, 
our plans and our, and our goals and our ambitions and the things that we want. And we tend to spend money on things about our identity rather than needs. And, and so all these things, I mean, the, the plans and goals that we have, whether it's, it's you know, the vacations that we want to take or the cars we want to purchase or, or whatever the case may be. Let me urge you with the Apostle Paul today. Please do not set your minds on things that will burn. Rather, set your minds on eternal matters. Because you have been risen with Christ. Because you are no longer dead. You are spiritually dead. You are alive to God. That's what verse 3 says. You You have a spiritual life. And so there's a purpose for that. Don't chase after something that will burn. Don't chase after a hunk of metal that's painted. Don't chase after a week or a weekend away. Don't chase after these things. But our minds should be focused on God. And I'm not saying that a car is wrong. I'm not saying a vacation is wrong. I'm not saying any of those things. And you understand that. What I'm saying is that should not be our identity. Our identity is Christ. So theological truth number one, the reason why we are to set our minds on things above is because we have been raised with Christ. Theological truth number two, your life is hidden with Christ. Do you see that in the text there? It says, set your minds, verse two, or verse three, excuse me, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Really, there's a couple ideas that can be said here about this, uh, this concept of being hidden. The first is safety or security, and the second one would be like concealed or unseen. What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about probably both. This idea of that the reason why we set our minds on things above, the reason why our lives should be focused on God, the reason why we should focus on the person of Jesus Christ, and the decisions that we make should be about Him and with Him in mind, and what brings glory to Him, is because our lives are hidden in Him. And the idea there is that they're safe in Christ. Minds go back to John chapter 10 when it says, Jesus says what? He says, no man can pluck you from the Father's hand, right? Once Christ saves us, we are safe and we are secure in Christ. We, have, we do not have to worry about someone removing us from the safety of the Father. And so when we see here, it says your life is hidden with Christ. Probably that's part of what he's saying there. He's saying that you are safe in Christ. And so if you're receiving this security, if you're receiving the safety in Christ, then does it not follow that your focus should be on the one who is securing you? But we find security and safety where? Our bank account. Our retirement funds. Again, I'm not against saving money. With a wife that I have, I have to save money, okay? I live by a budget whether I like it or not, okay? I'm not against that. But my safety is not in a budget. My safety is not in a bank account. My safety is not in uh, uh, health because all those things can be taken away like that. My safety, my security is wrapped up in one person. And that's not my wife. That's Jesus of Nazareth. My life is hidden with him. And so if he has secured me, he has saved me, he is holding me, he is holding all things together we saw in Colossians chapter 1. If he's doing that, should I not focus on him? 
Doesn't that follow that my entire life should be given over to glorifying Him and focusing on Him and setting my mind on things and asking myself questions? How will this bring glory to Jesus? How will people see Jesus through this? Should that not be a factor in my everyday thinking then? Because my life is hidden, it's safe, it's secure. But there's also the concept of concealment there. And here's the idea that the world doesn't understand the life of a Christian. It doesn't make sense to them. First John chapter 3, we see that there. It says that the world didn't understand me. or understand the Father. They're not going to understand you. The world doesn't understand God. And, and we also see in, uh, uh, I believe it was 1 Peter, there where the, he's writing there and he says that the world, they think it's strange that you're not doing the same things that they're doing. And so there's this idea that there's, there's a concealment there where our life takes on a different shape. And because our identity should be so reflective of Jesus or so wrapped up in Jesus that that's what they see. We need to be grace-dispensing Christians. Everywhere we go, we should be dispensing the grace of God that we are experiencing every day. And so, you know, as you think about your life, as, as I think about my life, I ask myself the question, I would ask you to ask yourself the same question, are you dispensing grace around you? Do people see Christ in you? Because this is our mindset. This is what we should be focused upon. In another passage, Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he says that we should be go, uh, 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 going for the upper call, and, and we should be striving for Christ and striving for God. And he says, as many of you as mature think this way. And so this is a mark of maturity. A mark of maturity is that we go after God. We go, we go strong in our lives and our thoughts after God because our lives are hidden in Christ. And so our lives are so wrapped up into Jesus, this is a theological truth, that, that our mind should then be focused on eternal matters. Now, I remember someone said of my grandfather once, and the older my grandfather got, he grew more and more pensive and more and more uh, drawn to spiritual things. Um, I'm told that the grandfather I had was a completely different man than the dad my dad had. The gospel had changed him somewhere in his adult years, and by the time I came along and I had a relationship with my grandfather, my grandfather was a very, very godly man who loved Jesus. He was a simple man. Um, I, don't th I think he, he had maybe an 8th grade education, somewhere around there. Grew up on a farm. I'm telling you what, this man loved Jesus. Maybe I've mentioned this before, I don't know if I have or not, but for about a month I lived with him. We were moving, and by the time there was about a month gap when we had to get out of one house and we could move into our next house, and so I lived with him for about a month. And he would, he would get up at 4.30 every morning, uh, to, to pray, and I asked him, why did you choose 4.30? <laughs> I mean, I think God hears prayers at 10. <laughs> but but uh, he said, here was the reason. Here was the reason why he got up at 4.30. Because his son, my dad, got up every morning at 4.30 to go to work. And he wanted to be praying for his son as he started his day. My, my, my grandfather was a man who had an intense passion for the Word of God, an intense passion and love for Christ. Someone once said of him, they said, and I remember it just wounded me when they said it, 
I didn't fully understand it, but I knew it wasn't good. They said, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's probably no earthly good. You ever hear that statement before? I think in order to be earthly good, you have to be heavenly minded. I don't think you can be of any earthly good until you are heavenly minded. And that's what this text is teaching here. You know, my grandfather may have, he may not have gone after earthly stuff and things like that, and by the time he ended his life, you know, it really, earthly things didn't matter to him. He was giving away stuff. He was giving away things to everybody. It drove my grandmother nuts and, and, and gave stuff away. He had two Purple Hearts from World War II. He just gave one away to some guy. I was like, whoa, where's the love, Grandpa? <laughs> you know, I would love that Purple Heart. He didn't care. He didn't care about that stuff. He cared about Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to make my grandfather out to be the example to follow, although he was an example for me to follow. But to me, God in his mercy let me get a glimpse of someone whose life was hidden in Christ. Do people around you, are they getting a glimpse of someone whose life is hidden in Christ? And that is the question we need to ask ourselves because the theological truth here that drives this of how we are to uh, think and where we're to set our mind, the theological truth that drives us is that our lives are hidden with Christ. And so it, it, Christ is, is just, uh, uh, we are consumed with Christ. And so we've been raised with Christ. We're, our lives are hidden with Christ. But then verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Before I give you the third theological truth, even in that verse, verse 4 I just read, we see this idea of our lives being hidden with Christ, who is your life. Did you catch that? Our lives should be characterized by Jesus. But our third theological truth that, that drives this point home of how we are to think and what we are to set our minds upon is this. You will be glorified with Christ. Third theological truth, you will be glorified with Christ. And do you see the past, present, and future in those three theological truths? Do you see how what you were, you, what you are, and what you will be? Isn't that beautiful? The gospel changes your past, it, it, it helps you live in the present, and it secures and gives you hope for the future. Christ is the answer for your past, Christ is the answer for the present, and Christ is the only answer for the future. We see this all throughout the scriptures, and we see it specifically in this text here. We will be glorified with Christ. Our hope is bound to Christ and Christ alone. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love that verse there because it talks about our citizenship being in heaven. And sometimes I, it grieves me when I see people that are more concerned about their country than they are about the things of God. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against being patriotic. I, 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 I'm patriotic too, you know. But, it just, but I, I am against what I, what I would call nationalism. We're citizens of another country. We don't think the way this country should think. There should be a difference in that. In some ways, the Bible talks about us as strangers and pilgrims. And it should be almost like we're in a foreign country here. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to travel to a different country, but I've been in different countries before, and the way people do things, it's different. It doesn't make it necessarily wrong in, in my situation, but it's just different. So you kind of look at it like, huh. I'm sure tonight Katie's going to share with us some things that were different from her trip that she experienced. I remember when I was in Haiti, 
Things are just different there. I mean, how you get around in, in the transportation. I was in the back of a, G, uh, of a truck, and a motorcycle pulled up next to me. I looked over, did a double take. Five people on a motorcycle, okay? And they didn't have helmets either, okay? <laughs> so, but, but the thing is, is that, I mean, it's like, that's different. We, we don't do that, you know, where I'm from. You know, we're not in Wisconsin anymore. <laughs> but I think our minds should kind of have that same mentality on on this earth. The world does things differently. Hmm, that's odd. That's different. Not in a judgmental way, not in a, not in a looking down, not in a, in a I'm better than you way, but just, that's different. You think differently because we're so wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope, our hope is in Christ, and one day we will be glorified with him. We have that promise right here is that when he appears, we, we are longing for the day when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, he will appear, and then we will appear with him in glory. He will transform us. And we have that promise that he will change us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 12, that would be a good reference to write down. 2 Thessalonians 1, 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen this morning that we are to set our minds. We are to seek the things that are above, where Christ is. So not just a place, but a person. We've seen what our minds should be by three theological truths here. How do we apply this in closing? See, the problem is that there's great temptation to be earthbound in our thinking. There's great temptation to be focused on the here and now and on the temporal but our mortgage and our homes and our cars and our children and college and all these different things and, uh, you know, trying to be more healthy and all that. And all these things, there's nothing inherently wrong with and We do need to have some thought towards those. I concede that. But that should not characterize us. We can take it a step further and go a little bit deeper and maybe a little bit more uh, convicting about the need for the approval of man. The need for people to show appreciation. The need for us to be considered successful in the workplace or even at the home or with our children or wherever the case may be. That should not occupy our our, our minds. Our minds should be focused on Christ. Many people spend their time and money for their identity not because of need. I said that earlier. The Christian's identity is in Christ, not in a a, a car, a home, a vacation, or a boat. What we long for, what you long for is an indication of your relationship with Christ. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the young people. So for you young people here, the young children and teens, let me just speak to you just for a quick second here. You probably don't even have a clue about thinking about matters of eternity. You're trying to survive sixth grade or whatever it is. You're, 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 not, you're not thinking in terms of eternity because when we're younger, we don't, we don't think in terms of eternity. We think we're invincible. We kind of think that everything's going to go on forever and ever, and we don't even think about the eternal matters. But let me encourage you in your youth to begin to think about the life that is to come. Let me encourage you to think about that there will be a time where your time on this earth is done, and we're not promised how long that is, and then then there's eternity. And then what we do in this life matters. And so even at a young age, let me just encourage you to think about Christ and matters of eternity and not just getting through the summer and dreading school starting again. For those of you on the other end, You've lived your life, you've endured the sixth grade, maybe two or three times, but you endured the sixth grade, okay, you've gotten through it, okay, you don't care about that anymore. Maybe you're on the other end of life where 
you really do long for heaven. You can't wait for Jesus to come back. You want to get out of this mess. And so when you hear this passage, you're like, yep, that's me. That's me. Where's the application for you? Here's the application for you. That grace that you're experiencing about thinking about heaven, dispense that to other people. Show them what it means to long for eternity. Show them why eternity is to be cared for. You know, there's plenty of passages in the scriptures that talk about the older teaching the younger. Let me encourage you to use the grace of God. Use the manifestation of the grace that you've received, that you've hoped in for so long, and now you're hoping for each day. Use that not just for you to think, I can't wait to get done. I can't wait to be gone. I can't wait to join my husband, my wife, my family, whoever it is in heaven. I can't wait. That's beautiful and that's wonderful, and I encourage you to do that. But don't stop there. Use that manifestation of grace that God has given to you to encourage others to do the same thing. Be a grace-dispensing Christian. And so today, let me close with this statement. The reasonable expectation of a true believer is to long to be with Jesus. So, are you setting your minds on things above rather than the things of this earth?